friend that asked if the Lord would. He's obviously been preparing our hearts, and oftentimes during worship, because I've been prepping a message all week, so I know what I'm thinking about. We have a direction we're going as a church, and then oftentimes as we are worshiping, we're not just talking to God, but God is speaking. And the Spirit of God is leading. So, so oftentimes the theme through a song are different things. And, and here's what I'm, I'm sensing this morning. So I just want to let you know that, that um, people are battling stuff in their lives. And we don't need church to be a place where we just go to learn how to be better people. We need God to like battle in the dark places. The places of self-doubt. The places of judgment. The places of failure. Uh, the places of division in the world. This is the stuff that we need God to do. He does like a deeper thing than a group of people gathering and we learn how to do three more steps of spiritual things. And those are good. And we're going to talk about spiritual rhythms in the new year that God is doing. But I just want you to know, I believe that God is doing something deeper. Something that you may not even know or be able to put your finger back on it right now, but you'll be able to look back in a month or in a year or 10 years or whatever and you look back and you're like, God was really doing an awesome work in those times. So whether you can see the progress in yourself or you can't, just know that God is doing a deep work and it's a good thing. Amen? Alright. I wanted to, uh, so let me pray. Father, thank you for those powerful words that we were able to like proclaim and shout together. And um, to those over us, over our church, but maybe we are even singing them uh, for ourselves as individuals. Just to speak the name of Jesus and the power of in that. Lord, we uh, have emptied ourselves. We, we empty ourselves during worship. We give to you songs. We give to you our our financial uh, offering to say thank you and, and all that you're doing, these responses, Lord, now we just ask, you say that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we open the word of God, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, nourish us with truth, with grace, with all that you would have for us, Lord, we are open and we, we want to know you speak to us now. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. When I was 16 years old, uh, I went to, I got locked up. I went to rehab for the first time. Um, I went there to rehab because we have drug rehabilitation, not physical rehabilitation. Uh, I've been there way more. Um, I went to drug rehab at 16. It was, it was, I was given a decision. You can go to this three-month lockdown rehab place or you can go to jail. You choose. And if you've ever been in that decision, I'll just like, it's a no-brainer. You're like, I'll go to rehab. And, um, and I went because I had a drug problem bad drug problem. I had to do the rehab one and a half times because I kind of lied my way halfway through the first time. How much drugs do you do? Then we get halfway through and they're like, you know, I don't think you've been shooting this straight. So I had to start shooting again. So it took a three months. But you know, eventually, I liked it. 
I liked being there. I liked the new rhythms that I was learning in my life to help me stop doing the things that I knew were taking me down a path that wasn't good for me. As much as I liked being clean, I liked being high more. I loved the feeling. I loved the escape that it I loved the, the community of people that I was with. Everything about it I liked, but I knew that it was leading me to a place that was bad. Number one, I kept getting in trouble. And number two, I didn't like who I was So I learned some good tools to help me switch doing drugs. You could say that I learned some new rhythms to help me create new habits so I didn't fall back into and it worked for a while, especially because I made friends in There were other people, you know what? They were like me, I didn't feel so alone. I didn't feel so broken when I was around other broken people. But it's easy, even in a place like that, to judge yourself on a sliding scale of other people. You know, we called it, and I was always, what's your, your drug of choice? It was like the, the comparison, some of the, you know, cocaine. Or um, this one kid in the company came. And um, it was just an experience. And so you kind of like, you could be like, well, at least I'm not like that. Or at least I'm not like this. But we, we, we ended up being a tight-knit group of people. Because we were going through this journey, this process, together. And we started cheering for one another. Celebrating each other's successes. That's why AA and NA meetings are so helpful for people because they're you get your you get your sobriety point. If you've been sober for a day, people will kill you. And then that dopamine that happens when you're encouraged, it matters. And then a month, and then six months, and then a year. What happens is these new rhythms, after a while, they uh, they're just these outward things sometimes that you do and you so I got out and I stayed sober for a while. For a while. But then I went back to my old lifestyle. Went back to using and I ended up going back to jail a couple more times. And it wasn't until over a year later, from when I was 17, that my life actually really started on it wasn't until about that time that I was actually able to quit. It was when I surrendered my life to Jesus. And I didn't just have new patterns to do, but God put a new heart in my chest. The Bible says you're born again in God's heart. It's like a heart transplant. And God's heart is in your chest. It starts beating different. And there's different blood flowing through you. You see the world differently. And I started on a new journey of becoming someone who didn't see myself through my eyes, but through God's eyes. I stopped seeing myself as someone who, like I had been told many times, someone who was wasting my potential. JJ is so talented if he would just step into his potential. If you're new to the bridge, welcome. Uh, we're talking about potential in this new year. We've been talking about what it looks like, what God sees when he looks at us, when he looks at our church, and this is one of the words that we believe God sees, the potential. But potential is a threatening word. 
depends on how you look at it. If you look at it like, oh, they had so much potential, but look at what they did. Then potential is always this thing that you don't, you're just trying to, to, um, to step up to the plate. You don't want to waste your potential. Some of us who have made bad decisions in our life, we've, we've, this, these words have been spoken over us. They really do. They had all but what happened is I stopped seeing myself as someone who uh, wasted my potential, and I started seeing myself through God's eyes as someone who wasted Did God wanted to do something that I didn't even know. But he saw value in me, not as someone who wasted potential, but someone he wanted to breathe life in. The Bible says that, uh, that when God sees a smoldering little, I'm careful it doesn't say smoldering little thing in the Bible. But it says a smoking reed he will not uh, put out. Uh, but it's this sense that like there's a little bit of wet grass. And it's kind of like uh, smoking, but it's too wet to catch fire. Potential. Potential fire. The Bible says that God doesn't come by and go. But rather that he picks it up. And he blows and gets oxygen. That's God's design. He doesn't go, oh, a little bit of smoke and wet gas, that's kind of cool. He goes, oh, I can work with this. I see so I started to think that life wasn't something bad that I needed to escape. But actually, maybe that it did. And something worth participating. Stop taking. Start giving. I started to learn that God's will wasn't just real, but it was good. That God's will was good. It wasn't something that, that if I was going to be a Christian, I had to lay down all the fun. That's what God does. He'll take away all the fun stuff in my life, but at least I'll go to heaven. The problem is, that's how a lot of people do. Being a Christian is but at least you get it. It is the wrong way and so prevalent the way people think about their walk with Jesus. He wasn't something that took away all the fun stuff I wanted to do, but rather he started to open doors for me to be the person that he wanted me to be and the person who I actually always really wanted to be. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, Jesus' goal as he was looking. So we're talking about 2023 this new year potential anybody start a new year's resolution if you did raise your hand oh, oh good i was gonna say you quitters now if you want to raise your hand if you're still doing it okay so no one was real enthusiastic about either one of those questions but let's just say a hundred of us started a new new year's resolution i started one should i tell you what it is no, because what if I don't do it? I started one. Well, I started a couple. I read through the Bible every year, try to. But this year I started at the beginning and I just want to spend time. We're just on my own, not for studying or, or anything. And um, so I started at Genesis and I'm trying to spend, you know, I get it my time during the week looks different. Um, than some of your guys's, but I, I want to spend a certain amount of time in the scriptures, just reading and for myself. So, uh, doing that, I did, I'm doing 50 push-ups for the year. And 
and um, so far so good. And the worst is right before you go to bed, and you're like, oh. Because Mel, if you break it up throughout the day, but right before you go to bed, this is it. 21st, this last night, and I'm like, you've made it 21 days, good job. So you're just sitting here like before bed, get all sweaty. Okay. We're talking about this new year. We're talking about potential. We're talking about um, things that God may want to do or you may want to see in your life. Potential, we said, is something that, that is there. You see it, but it doesn't do anything by itself. It's not like you flip the switch and go, come on, potential, do something. You have to step into it. You have to partner with it. So we were talking about Jesus and the goal that he had, the ultimate goal he had was to do the Father's will. It's from two weeks ago. He said... Uh, Jesus, his desire was to do the Father's will above all else. And that's what he always said. He believed three things about it. This, so this is a reminder. You can jot it down and just catch you up to speed. Jesus believed that God's will, the Father's will, was ultimate. It was most important. He believed not just was it most important, it was actually good. The Father's will was good. And he believed that it was worth it. Everything that he did and he died for the sins of the world, for you. And to him, it was worth it. Therefore, there was a way in which Jesus lived that, a, that prioritized these aligning of wills, his will and the Father's will. That's why he says, not my will, but your will be done. Now we are in different place than Jesus because Jesus is God and we are not. But he is our example. Now I think about our lives. So I think about my friends and the similarities. I have an addictive personality. When I'm into something, I'm into it. Whether good or bad. I've done it bad. God has used it for good. But we're built different. I know people that aren't like that. I was talking to someone uh, before church who is in class with, with someone else and the way our memories work. Some people have like this photographic memory where you can remember stuff. And some of us forget our keys on the counter or, you know, lose our glasses when they're on our head. They were just built different. And I was thinking, one of my favorite uh, lines from the movie is uh, the movie Tombstone. Anyone ever seen it? And at the end of the movie Tombstone, Wyatt Earp is sitting in the hospital with Doc Holliday. Shout out Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is where I grew up right by with Doc Holliday And there's this line where Wyatt is sitting there and he pulls out their cards and they're continuing their poker game. And Doc says, what is it that you want, Wyatt? And Wyatt goes, I just want a normal life. And Doc says, there is no normal life, Wyatt. There's just life. And I love that because we all have our sense, this sense of what life would be better if. I just want just re I just want to be happy. I just want normal life. Let me just tell you, there is no normal life. There's just life. And for me to stand up here and give the church ten ways to be a better fill in the blank doesn't work because you're different than I am. Some of you in this new year with your potential, God is going to call you to participate in new ways that you haven't before, and you're going to grow. And it'll be, you'll get sore, like from working out, spiritually sore. 
might be tired in the morning from this new type of job that you're going to do. Some of us need to rekindle broken relationships. There's a, there's a season of repentance that needs to happen with people. We're all in different places. And so looking around, just be like, oh, I just want what they have. It's not helpful. But if we can be like Jesus and say, I want what God wants for me, we're going to be in a much better place. We were reminded last, last week of God's complete knowledge. Thank you, Ted, uh, by the way. Such a good message, Psalm 139, just thinking about how we, yeah, give him a hand. Carrie's always quick to do that. We were reminded last week of God's complete knowledge of us and the world around us and his love for us. God knows you. He knows what he has for you. So the title of this morning's message is, What's God's Will for My Life? We're going to answer just a simple little question today. You're going to leave here going, I know God's will for my life. See, God knows you. Psalm 139 says, For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So it's such thoughts, they're, they're too big for me to wrap my head around. God knows you. God doesn't just know you. He knows how you're put together. He doesn't just know how you're put together. He put you together. He wove you into who you are, and he wove you into the fabric of the world around you. You aren't just a person. You have a place. Do you ever wonder why we live in 2023 instead of 1923? Do you ever wonder why we live here as opposed to somewhere else? Well, I think about it all the time. Why am I, what, like, I feel so fortunate. There are some people that are, that are born in lesser, but what is true for me, God knows me. He knows them as well. There's a reason that you're alive here and now, but no matter what era or what country or what person, here's God's will for you. You ready? God's will for you is for your will to be his will. God's will for you is for your will to be his will. There's this, look at this verse in John chapter 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3, it says, Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says that this is eternal life. This is, this is salvation, eternal life. He says, this is eternal life. That they, so he's talking about his followers, the 12, and then, and then after that he'll talk about us and those that will come that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What was Jesus' goal for himself? Unity with the Father. What was his goal for people? That they would know God. Now this word know is used elsewhere in the Bible. You know what it's used for? Uh, intimacy between a husband and a wife. This word know means partnership. It means joining so God's will for your life is that your will, which you have, and we'll talk about, would be joined with his, that there would be a crossover, that there would be an intimacy of how he put you together and how he is leading you. In apprenticeship to Jesus, there is a, more than anything, there is a partnership of wills. Anyone have a strong-willed child? Was anyone, was anyone a strong-willed child, strong child? 
mean, all that means is now you're a strong-willed adult. It's still there. The best earthly example of this is we have is a marriage, the marriage union, union, two becoming one flesh. What that really means is two wills becoming one and creating one will, one desire. There's a great verse about this in Acts. This is a verse that hit me years ago, and I walk and I and I say, I want a life that can say this. In Acts chapter 15, in the first part of verse 28, there's a group of people trying to figure out what is the next steps in life. What's the next right thing to do? And they said this, and they said, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on no greater burden to you than these requirements. So they're trying to figure out what this new church is going to look like. It wasn't in downtown Bellingham, but it was in a, a place where there was a diverse group of people, some that had been walking with God for a long time, part of their culture and heritage some people it was very foreign it was new they just knew that they wanted God to they wanted to see themselves through God's eyes they wanted to walk with the Lord so they were trying to figure out how does this look and so this group of people praying but they were able to say this it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us talk about a marriage of wills what you want to do and what God wants to do being the same thing because a lot of times we walk through life and we say God what do you want me to do and so we walk like we're going to make a mistake all the way, like we have to navigate so God doesn't go, ah, that's not what I wanted for you. You're so dumb. Why can't you think you had so much potential? But we can live in a life where, where it could be like um, in all things you do, whether work or play, be confident that you're doing it in the name of the Lord. That it could be like whatever you decide. God's desire for you is the same as it was for Jesus, that you would experience unity with him. Maybe it, this works well to hear it this way. God isn't about behavior modification. He is about character transformation. God isn't about behavior modification, curbing behaviors. He's about changing who we are. That's why something like rehab, as good as it is, and as many tools as I learned, it was great. It only lasted so long because I was learning how to curb behaviors, and when I met Jesus, he changed who I was. Now, that doesn't mean that I never had issues or struggles or desires for escapism. So some of these tools were really good. I want to escape from reality sometimes when life is hard. But because God's heart beats in my chest, I know that there's no, and we, Psalm 139 in the prayer, I know there's no place I can go where God won't be there. I know there's no mistake I can make that God will be like, well, you blew it. He's always with me. He's always for me. He knows the way forward. So I can be like the apostles and just be like, Lord, where else can I go? This is hard, but you know the way forward. Because here's the reality, you guys. It's possible to do all the churchy stuff and miss Jesus completely. It's possible. It's, Jesus says it like this in, in Matthew at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says some really tough stuff. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them what? It's not that you didn't do the right things. He's like, we weren't joined. I never knew you. There wasn't this partnership. There wasn't this joining or overlap. Because I'm all for spiritual disciplines. I'm all for the things that we can learn, the steady rhythms that we put in to help us grow. And that we're going to talk about them. We have them. Read your Bible. But there will many, can I just get real for a second? There will be some that will come to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, I read all the Bible reading plans. And he'll be like, I didn't. You can, Lord, I grew up in the church. You know how many people I talked to that said, I went to church and they talk about when there's a kid and it was this thing that's like, yeah, my parents really believe that. I went to church. So I can't remember who said it. They said, going to church makes you a Christian like being in a garage makes you a car or something like that. But what it is is there's a partnership of wills. There's a desire. So I want to talk about three things that God is actively transforming in you at all times that spiritual rhythms and habits come along and help us and aid us. But I want to talk about three deep things that I believe that God is doing in anyone whose desire is more for the kingdom of God in their life, to hear Jesus' voice, to walk with him. That's what he's asking. That's what partnership means. If there's someone that says, Lord, I'm, I know I don't have it together, but I, I want you to work in my life. He will never say those words. It's not like, oh, I was volunteering at two of the things at church but not that third one. Maybe I really should have been there for that because then God wouldn't say, depart from me. He's talking about people who did it their way, their will. Uh, I don't think I wrote it down, but I read a quote last week or the past couple weeks. Let's see if I can remember it. It says, oftentimes Christian, the reason being a Christian is so hard is we walk in our will and we ask God to bless it. We just do what we want and we say, God bless it. And he's just saying, no, I want us to join. Okay, three things God is actively transforming in you. Ready? The first one is this, your desire. In his book, uh, Renovations of the Heart, this author, Dallas Willard, who's kind of a foremost spiritual formations author, he's really gifted, but he says this, he says, the heart, so we're talking about desire, the heart in the Bible, also known as the will or the spirit, this is talking about our desire, is precisely what God observes and addresses in human beings. You know Solomon, First uh, Samuel 16, 9? Do not look as man, God says, I do not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, pink flannel, jeans, shoes god looks on the heart someone who and what he sees in me right now is someone who wants you to know god's heart for your life so he has a way of looking past the appearance whether good whether you think it's good or bad he sees the heart so this is what we're talking about the will the desire the spirit all those words 
kind of mean the same thing. He cares little or nothing for the outward show. He responds to the heart because it is, above all, who we are. Who we choose and have chosen to be. What God wants of us can only come from here, this deep place. He respects the centrality of our will and he will not override it. Meaning God allows us to choose things. He doesn't just come in and become a puppet master. He created us in his image, which is able to think and create and have will. He seeks godly character in us and for us to fulfill the eternal destiny he has in mind for us. You could say it like this. Did you know that God has dreams for you? When God looks at your life, he's, he has things that he has prepared. He dreams, big things, rad things. He wants you to know what, what he wants, and he wants you to want the same. But spiritual inertia is really hard to break. Bad habits are hard to break, right? It's easier to do what you have been doing than to do what you have not, especially when the new thing goes contrary to what you've been doing. When you live for your own will and your own desire, you will build an entire system around it to bring it to pass. That's why you can start justifying things that you do, and to the outside world, you look like a crazy person. They're like, look at what they're doing. That makes no sense. But to you, you can justify it. It seems good because you build a system around your behavior. This is how you can end up in a place where we say, how did I get to this point? When things have fallen apart so much, you're like, how did I get all the way down here? It's because what you've been doing, it gains momentum, and it, and it goes faster. It snowballs. So when it comes to desire, we have to surrender our will to God's will. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, and come with me, learn from me. There's a surrendering of our way to Jesus's way. But the desire is, is that we would, over time, know that Jesus's way is the good way. It's the safe way. So we don't yoke up going, ah, oh, church is so boring. Where there's a par part of us that's like, I, I need God to speak to me. I need encouragement for where I'm at. I need wisdom. I need direction. So there is this desire that we would not only surrender our will or even we could even abandon it because we believe that what God wants is better. Does that make sense? That's the first thing that God is constantly transforming, our desire. The scripture says, uh, commit your way to the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. A lot of times we're like, yes. Go to church, pray, read my Bible, I get a new car. That's the desire of my heart right now. I need some new skis or a new skateboard. It says, commit your way to the Lord, and he will partner his desires with your desires. And then all of a sudden, what you want is good in those around you. What you want is different than what you wanted because God is partnering his heart into your heart. The second thing he is constantly actively transforming in our life is our direction. We ask this question, where does Jesus want to take me? 
many of us live with the mindset he just wants to take us to heaven. And this world is something we have to endure until we get to go to heaven. So we participate as little as we can in this world so we can like get through it and get to heaven. When we live with this mindset, we can begin to resent and look down upon the world we live in, and our focus becomes just getting through it. The disciples struggled with this. So if you feel this, you're not alone. Listen to this. In John chapter 14, pretty well-known passage, Jesus is talking with his disciples right before he's going to the cross, and he says this, John 14, starting in verse 1, Don't let your hearts be troubled. You could think of this as, a, um, as their intimate teacher and friend that was with them. He's not scolding. It's almost like, listen, you guys. It's, there's an intimate conversation happening. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. The where is taken care of, he is saying. If it weren't so, I, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when everything is ready, I will come and get you, and you'll always be with me where I am. Then he says, and, but, and he kind of like, so in the meantime, you know what to do. And you know the way to where I am going. So he's like, I'm going, and you guys know the way. And they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then they stop, and they look around, and they're like, did, did we miss the point? Because I don't get it. And Thomas goes, Lord, we don't know what you're talking. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus says these famous words. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one gets to the place they need to go except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. If... Um, And we could leave it there. Verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what the early church was called? It wasn't called the early church. That's what we call it. Hey, the early church. They weren't like, hey, we're the early church. They didn't even name themselves. You know that the word Christian was a diss on the people. It wasn't like, hey, I got an idea. I've been really working on our marketing strategy. Christian. Sounds cool. It means little Jesus is. They didn't name themselves that. The culture named them that, the community, because they were like Jesus. They were like, they're like little Jesuses in the way they live. And it stuck, Christians. But actually, the early church was called the way. It wasn't called the place. It was called the way. They took what Jesus said here, and it changed their lives because they were always on the way. Not about where you are going, but the way in which you are going about the journey. I don't know what 2023 has in store for you, but I know this. If you walk with Jesus and you ask his will to to be more uh, integrated into your life, you are going to look back and see this year as one of the greatest years of your life. A year that you grew so much that you experienced more peace. What if God's blessing on you isn't that you would make more money? 
but that you would be a person in our community that truly knows what contentment is. Because when we're focusing on a destination, I loved what, what um, Ted was talking about last week with the road trip. Anybody else identify with that? We're going there. Dad, I got to pee. Hold it. I got 400 more miles on this tank of gas. We'll stop in Utah. Some of us are like that. That's how we're built. Some of us are super meanders and, and drives me crazy. I'm like, dude, I want to go to where we're going. Let's get there. And they're like, we're there, man. <laughs> we're all different, but if we ask the Lord to come, he's, he's leading us along the way. The direction, don't be so focused about a place, but a, be focused on a person. And then we can find contentment and gratitude and peace as major tones of our year and our life as opposed to resentment and entitlement and worry. You see what I'm saying? The last one is this, discipline. This is where rhythms come in. A major service of spiritual disciplines, Bible reading. We're going to look at ones that Jesus did himself, that were practiced in the early church, and that are taught about in the rest of the New Testament. You know, sometimes that's how doctrine comes to be, how churches believe what they believe. A lot of times it was taught or brought up by Jesus. It was modeled in the new church, in the early church, in the book of Acts. And then it gets brought up again in the rest of the New Testament as like a point of focus or a teaching thing. Those are like cool ways to look. And as you're spending time in the spiritual discipline of taking in God's word, because it's our manna that we live by every day, just from a couple weeks ago, we take that stuff in, we start to see these themes, this repetition, these things that God wants to, to show us. So a major service of these spiritual disciplines is to cause the double-mindedness and ill will that is buried deep in our hearts and character to be surfaced and to be dealt with. These disciplines, these rhythms that we do, they make room for the word of God and the Holy Spirit to work in us. They, they allow destructive feelings and destructive rhythms to be acknowledged unearthed and dealt with. The success isn't in the practice itself, but what they do, the aligning of wills with the Lord. One more time on a quote for doubt from Dallas Willard. He says this, truly becoming one who wills above all else to act with the kingdom of God and to have his goodness does not happen overnight. Desiring this, this process, it does not happen overnight. But upon a path of clear intention and decision with appropriate disciplines and accompanying to illuminate and correct us, and accompanying grace to illuminate and correct us when we fail, it is not as far away as many of us would suppose. What we desire. It's not this distant land far, far off. It's a person who is right with you the whole time. It's not as far off as you feel like it is. Dallas continues and he says, these duplicities and entanglements 
this, 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 when you feel like there's two people living inside of you, one that wants to do good and then one that wants to do bad, that's duplicity, two spirits. The evil intents can be clarified and eliminated as we keep our eyes on Jesus, who initiated and protects our faith, and who endured the cross, despising its shame, and who has sat down as the right hand of the throne of God. Dallas Willard, he's deep. I get it. I have to reread his stuff 10 times over and over and over. That's what he's saying. There is a participation to becoming more like Jesus. There is the way that he lived and wants you to experience also. And this is where we bring in the new rhythms of living. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. That means you will do the things that I ask you to do. Remember what I said two weeks ago? God will, Jesus will never ask you to do something that he didn't do. He's not the parent that says, do as I say, not as I do. We, that's us. He says, do as I say, because it's what I do. So the things that we do aren't simply things that we do, but things that join our wills and combine our hearts to God's heart. They make room for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, to bring out the goodness of God in our lives. Here's the deal, if you want them to. So next week, we're going to talk about being planted in the house of God, the rhythm of living in community. There's a couple of things it says in the New Testament. It says, and Jesus did this as was his custom, sort of like as was his habit as he always did. One of them was living in a place of community centered around God. We're going to look at the rhythm of um, giving, a life that has the rhythm empowered by gratitude. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. That was Jesus' rhythm of his life sharing our story with others. It says that it was his custom. It was his practice. It was his habit. It says he was out in the field, and a group of people came around him, and it says, and he did what he always did, and he taught them. He always had a time he was sharing what he had, his story with other people. And then the last one that we're going to talk about is silence, with the Father. You can call it prayer, you can, but it says this all the time in the New Testament, and it says, and Jesus leaving the crowds went to be by himself. And Jesus leaving all these people, took three people with him, went to the garden as he often did, went to this thing as he often did. And what was it that Jesus had to do in this time of getting away from everyone? These are awesome rhythms. You can do those things and not get where you want to be, but if the goal is, Lord, bring more of what you want in my life. That's the tone in which we do the rhythms. I know that you will find so much grace. So if you want to, that's the invitation. We're going to close here and pray. And what I want to do is I want to take this time because your, your success and failure in the year isn't based on if you read your Bible every day. 
It isn't based on if you don't sin at all this year. It's based on the desire of your heart to know God and to be filled more with his love and his plan and his will for your life. And every once in a while, it's good to, to just start and be like, Lord, I want that in a new way and in a fresh way. So um, could we stand together? Uh, we're going to pray. We're going to sing this last song, and we'll end service. But I just want to offer up the opportunity. If someone's just like, man, that's what I want. I want a new um, I just want to offer God my will and ask that he would join his to mine. I just want to ask that by way of acknowledging that, we could just hold up a hand to the Lord, just say, Lord, I want that in my life. I want you to, you says, you know my heart, and I want you to lead me in this way that I won't be frustrated about what I do and don't do, but that I can grow and learn and and be joined with you. So I'm raising mine because I want it for me and my household. So Lord, we thank you for today. And Lord, a hand is just a, a way of saying, um, Lord, I want um, the plans that I have and I'm thinking about this year. I want them to be one and the same with what you want that there would be so much crossover, it would, hard to t it would be hard to tell where does this person end and Jesus' will begin, that it would be a natural working in our lives. So I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, that are just asking for a fresh filling of your spirit and your word, and I'm so looking forward to meeting together here next week when we talk about the power of community and the rhythm of walking in the same direction with others. So Lord, we sing this song to you and we close out this morning. We just thank you for who you are and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.